Hey, welcome to Socialette. This is episode 204. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Kate Williams, the legend behind Retreat Yourself. Retreat Yourself is a wellness brand that Kate built from the ground up without much of a marketing background. And Kate and I go way back because I actually also used to run a subscription box business a couple of years ago. And Kate and I bonded over a few too many wines and a mutual dislike for all of the courier companies in Australia. In today's episode, Kate and I are chatting about how she grew and launched the business without that much marketing knowledge, how she's used influencer marketing and collaborations to grow the brand, and how she's managed to score some pretty awesome collaborations with some big brands. I'm so incredibly excited to welcome Kate to the podcast, and I know you guys are going to get a lot from this episode. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for coming on Social Ed. Thank you for having me. So, Kate, for our listeners who don't know who you are or what your business is, tell us, what do you do? So, obviously, my name is Kate. I own a business called Retreat Yourself, which is a seasonal health retreat in a box. Um, We encourage and and help people to um, lead healthy and happy lives by prioritizing their own self-care and health and wellness. So where did the idea for Retreat Yourself actually come from? Like what made you start it? I feel like there were so many things that um, led to me (laughs) starting this business. I generally just talk about my time in corporate. Um, I had been traveling since I was 20. So I'd done um, lots of traveling around the world and seen lots of, um, you know, been to lots of interesting countries, been volunteering and working all around the place. And I found myself having what I like to refer to as my called life crisis. Um, at about, <laughs> I've had yeah. a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I've had, a, I've had a couple of them. But yeah, at like the age of um, 25, 26, um, and I was like, right, I need to go and get a good job. Like I thought I had to get mm. some corporate job. Um, so that kind of prompted me to book a one-way flight to Melbourne and true Kate style was leaving a week later. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, booked a one-way flight to Melbourne and went on the hunt for a good job. And I got um, a job in corporate. I was a white collar contractor manager. Um, so yeah, I don't know how I landed the job to be totally honest. Like I had a <laughs> resume that was like 50 meters long of just so many different random jobs. Like I'd done everything under the sun. Um, but yeah, I've got the job and, um, I think like pretty quickly after starting the job, I started to feel, um, find myself in like a, just like the daily grind, like a daily cycle yeah. of just like getting up, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, just day, like day in, day out and starting to feel really unfulfilled and quite like stressed and um, that kind of thing. And I started to notice so many other people were as well. And I think because of my, just the way that I, I, I had a different way of seeing the world because of all the other things that I'd done and it didn't quite make sense to me that so many people mm. were so unfulfilled in their daily life. And if they only just prioritize their health and well-being, they could live a more consistently happy life. Um, and I just, yeah, I just really wanted to help people to understand that and kind of get the, I, I had the idea for a treat yourself because um, I wanted to help people feel kind of the things that you feel when you go on a health retreat in your everyday life. Yeah. So connected, grounded, healthy, fulfilled, like all of those things. Um, so yeah, so then I, it's a bit of a long winded story. <laughs> I um, went 
on, I decided to do, study holistic nutrition and personal training, um, continued to travel and met my partner in Japan, who was from Melbourne, which led me back to Melbourne. And then, yeah, I'd seen the subscription box business around and I loved the idea of supporting small brands to get their products out into the world um, and to tell their stories. And yeah, I just loved the idea of a retreat in a box, like being able to reach out to um, thousands and thousands of people and, you know, um, give them the kind of skills and educate them in a way that like a health coach or a life coach would, but in a fun kind of um, style of receiving something to your door. So yeah, I got the idea there and just kind of ran with it. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. And like, I've known you now probably, I reckon it'll be close to three years that I've known you now. And I remember like your business or like back when we first met, you were still like packing the boxes yourself. I'm pretty sure you were a one-woman band back then. Yeah. Like it paints a bit of a picture for our listeners what that was like. Oh my god. Way back then. So <laughs> full on. I know that. Um, I know that every business is full on, but I just feel like this business has so many moving parts. Like. Every three yeah. months, you're creating a new product. Um, so you're liaising with so many different people at any one time. Um, you've got to give them reason to give you your product. So like, you can't just say, hey, can I have your product to put in the box? You have to actually market their product for them to make it worthwhile. Um, just And then you're marketing the product to the world outside as well. And then you've got to pack the box and organize the logistics and stuff. It was just really, really full on. And yeah. um yeah, definitely. And coming from a background of no business kind of experience, never really having had to apply myself to anything. I didn't go to university or had never really had a good, proper good job. So it was, yeah, pretty, um, pretty full on and overwhelming at the start. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And how did you find at the start, how did you find it educating like the market on a completely new product? Because like Australia isn't anywhere near the US when it comes to subscription boxes. Like, yeah, no. They all know what they are. So how did it, how did you go about educating people about the boxes? It was definitely hard um, at the start. That was one of the I knew that that was one of the biggest hurdles. I knew that right from the start that because I think there may have been a one or two that were well known at the time, um, but yeah. that was pretty much it. So I was like, this is an education point, and not a, not only an education point about subscription boxes it like a, a quarterly subscription box or one that comes at the start of each new season because the other ones were monthly um and then also ex- educating them on what, what a retreat in a box was like that was just so <laughs> it was just I think a lot of it came down to um kind of trying to like build community with the first customers that I had and get them talking and kind of just yeah. getting feedback from people and yeah just um yeah, just trying to, I think building the community was the, the, the biggest kind of thing. And once people started to realize what it was, then they would talk to their friends about it and stuff. Also, it was very important to have it clear on the website what we did. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's definitely been a, that's been a, um, a challenge that's uh, continued to like, present itself in different ways. So, yeah, always kind of working on that, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. And like, I remember, it would have been a little while ago now, but I remember reading an article saying how, it was an Australian article saying how subscription boxes are a passing fad, but like, yet they're still around. So what do you actually think of the the state of the subscription box market in Australia at the moment? I think it's growing. I don't think, I definitely don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I I think that there are loads of subscription boxes popping up all the time, which is great in terms of, um, you know, the the education of what a subscription box is and growing the market. It shows that there's demand yeah. there. But at the same time, for us, when it comes to 
showing that, you know, because a lot of people, I think a lot of people think starting a subscription box business is going to be easy and it's actually... Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually really hard. And I think a lot, a, yes. lot, a lot of people start it and then they can't fulfill what they've promised to their customers. So the customers get burnt and then the brands get burnt yeah. and then they leave a bad mark. So we're constantly having to explain to people why we're different and how we do things differently. And we do things quite, quite differently to other subscription boxes. Um, but yeah, I think at the same time for, you know, a smart business decision is not to ever just have all of your eggs in one basket. Like we've got mm. other things that we're kind of working towards. Our vision is much bigger than just the boxes. That's kind of the, the vessel to get the message out there at the moment. But it's certainly our vision is much bigger than just having the boxes. So, we, you know, I don't think that the subscription box market's going anywhere. I think it's growing, but I also you know, have, I'm wary of people talking about that and um, yeah. have other ideas and things we're doing. So, yeah. So you just said that your vision is beyond boxes. What do you mind sharing what your vision is? <laughs> can you share that? <laughs> I can. Yeah, no, 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 I can. I definitely can. It's um. so basically like our total vision is, like I said before, we want to and give people the tools and educate people um, on how to be happy and healthy and fulfilled in their everyday life by prioritizing their health and well-being. well-being. So prioritizing them. And that's quite a broad statement. So it's like, what are the things that we're doing to get to that point? So the boxes are obviously one, um, a retreat yeah. in a box that comes to your door. Um, not only do you get the products in the box, but you get the plan explaining how to use them. And also re- like there's a checklist with retreat um, behaviors that you do throughout the season. So it's kind of encouraging you to do little bits and pieces. Um, and then obviously, um, which is probably a no brainer, but starting an online store, selling all of the individual products, how that looks, I'm not a hundred percent too sure yet. Um, whether it's exclusive to subscribers or to the public, um, having a directory with all, um, health and wellness professionals. So, um, naturopaths, nutritionists, that kind of thing. And whether we tie that into a subscription, offering to our customers because we're growing this, you know, really engaged community of people that are really interested in health and wellness. It's like, how can we connect the dots between, um, you know, people that they're looking for um, and them. And then also I've got another idea, but I don't really want to talk about that because I think think it's really awesome and it hasn't been done yet. And yeah, I'm really intrigued, (laughs) but fair enough that you don't want to share it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned before, like there are so many subscription boxes popping up all of the time and just like so many of them stick around for a couple of months and then they close and they just never really seem to get traction. Why do you think that they struggle to get that traction? Um, I think because it's a hard product to, um, at the end of the day, if you're a subscription box, you aren't necessary. You're not a necessity. Um, you know, you're, mm. we're selling a product of stuff essentially. So you have to have... I think really um, strong brand values and brand pillars and things that you stand for um, in order to cut through. I don't think you can just be like, oh, I'm a, uh, we have a subscription box and we've got samples of these products or, or whatever. Um, and I just think that you, I think people need to connect with your brand in order. And it comes, that applies to every business, but particularly with a subscription box, because I don't think people need necessarily need a box of products. So you have to be able to explain that really well um, through your marketing and stuff. I also don't think that they last because it's hard. Like I said before, it's so hard. Like mm. if, if you commit to doing a monthly box, um, you've got to get however many products per month. Yeah. Um, also, like a lot of the boxes just have um, samples. We only pretty much only include full-size product in our boxes. And I think that... Um, I don't, that doesn't provide 
any value or much value to the consumer um, at the end of the day. And I think the Australian like community, like yes, society is really, we're not really that, we're not as consumer, as much consumers as, you know, people in America, for example, people just buy stuff over there for the sake of it. We don't really have the same kind of attitude. So I think there's many things that kind of play into it, but um, yeah, I think, I don't know if I explained that very well. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did. You did a great job there. Uh, Yeah. So you said like, you did briefly mention getting like your brand pillars and all of that, right? So when you launch Retreat Yourself, like obviously you don't really have that much of a marketing background when you launched. So how did you go about like figuring out that you needed to get that all like slick before you could launch? Or did you just wing it? (laughs) um, I pretty much winged it, but I also like spoke to a lot of people. I think my biggest thing is like, I don't like the word networking, but I'm all about um, building connections. And I think that's so important. Oh yeah. And what's that saying? Like you're only the value of your network or something. I, I don't, your net worth something is the value like, of your network. Net, anyway. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I have to look that up. <laughs> um, but I just think the people that have done it before you, um, I would reach out to people that I didn't even know and be like, Hey, like, I love your business. I've started this business. I'd love to pick your brains. Can I take you out for a coffee? And like, people are yeah. so willing to help, Like people, especially people that own their own business and you know, they're doing well, they, they, they're passionate about it. Most people that are in business and, and get to yeah. a certain point in business are passionate about business, not just about the product that they have. So they're happy to sit down and sure. talk. Um, also I think I started, Retreat yourself from a place of passion and like care. Like I really care about helping people. Um, And I knew that I had to um, communicate that through everything that I did because otherwise I'm just another product. Um, You know, um, people can't actually understand what the why is um, behind what we do. And um, like at the end of the day, people connect um, emotionally to to what they purchase, you know, purchasing stuff is an emotional thing. So that's so true. And especially I think for product-based businesses, like emotional, the emotional side is so important, especially when you're selling something people don't need. Like if it's not solving a specific problem that they've got, then yeah, you really are relying on connecting emotionally. 100%. Yeah. You've, you've absolutely, you've yeah. got to tap into, tap into that. And I think, I think just like reading stuff, like I just, I'm not an actual reader. Like I find it really hard to focus for any period of time reading lots of stuff, but little bits and pieces here (laughs) signing up to, signing up to blogs or, you know, and just picking up bits of information. And I think just having a genuine interest in it so that you actually retain that information and are able to kind of put that into the work that you're doing. And podcasts. Podcasts. (laughs) Obviously. Yes, definitely podcasts. That's the one. That's it. (laughs) So when you launch Retreat Yourself, how far in advance did you start planning the launch? So I had the idea, I think I got the idea in like April 2015 and I launched at at the start of December 2015. Um, So it was a very hard time in my life. So I got the idea and I was was living in Melbourne. I was all excited um, about it. And then I was like, right, I need to get a designer on board um, and found a designer I think in an online forum somewhere because I knew that for people to trust the brand we had to have really consistent imagery we had to know what you know like the look and touch and feel of the brand had to be there um so got her but then I went traveling around Asia for six weeks so I was backpacking while trying to like liaise with her to do the stuff and 
my <laughs> level of being able to manage stress or, you know, that kind of thing was very low because I hadn't really done anything like this before. Um, and then we moved to Jindabyne and did a snow season there. Um, so that yeah. was quite challenging as well because I'd only just, I'd done my personal training course and then went straight into a, jo- a full-time job at a gym there. So I was in this new job that I wasn't really sure how to do. I was making new friends and I was starting this business. So I was just like, yeah, just oh. a, a man. <laughs> it was really tough. <laughs> Many plates spinning. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So before you launched, how exactly were you planning on marketing it? Through social media. That was the main thing. Um, it was yeah. very much like using social media to my advantage. I knew nothing about Facebook advertising or Google AdWords or anything like that. I don't even think I knew what like PR meant. I, don't, I just like had no idea. I, I remember actually Googling PR thing. Like, what does it even mean? <laughs> um, Uh, Yeah, so it was just social media and then because of the whole um, networking thing, like I've always been someone to love making new friends and I just kind of looked at it like that, I'd go to like events and meet new people and then be like, hey, let's do a partnership. And then so at the start it was like Mm. quite strategic partnerships I'd say. Like I had, I made some friends that worked at Quicksilver and partnered with Quicksilver and Roxy for one of their big events and then like just stuff like that. Like um, I heard... um, the owner of Bar Body speak at an event and I reached out to them and was like, hey, can we do some events together? And they're like, yeah, send through a proposal. And I was like, on Google, like how to write a proposal. Um, and then, <laughs> but stuff like that, like the strategic things were at, like I knew that people that were at Bar Body would want something similar to the, well, you yeah. know, a product like mine and same with um, Roxy Quicksilver and stuff. But the, the basis of it all, it was really marketing and just building those relationships and then connecting the dots from what they had and how we could kind of um, work together. Yeah. Did you have a marketing budget when you launched? No, I didn't. No, definitely <laughs> not. At the start, I knew I didn't even know anything about numbers. I knew nothing about managing my finances. Like now I'm a spreadsheet like master. Like I love my spreadsheets. I'm in there every day, yes, like cash flow forecast. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the start, I had absolutely no idea. I was just totally winging it. Um, I had some money behind me, so I was like lucky that I had money in the bank to, but that quickly evaporated. And then I just had yeah, to kind of, as it does. Yeah. Figure <laughs> it out. So the, I reckon the first year and a half, um, were very much, maybe even two years, um, were very much just figuring it out, not really knowing mm. what I was doing. And then probably the last year and a half to two years have been like a solid growth, um, real um, strategic growth and, and being able to know where we're going and that kind of thing. Yeah. So what have you found to be like the most effective ways in like the four year, almost four years now that you, since you've launched, how have you been, like how, what have you found the most effective for marketing it, marketing um, self. Yeah, I think um, uh, influence marketing has been good. Um, it's definitely had its place. Like we've worked with some influencers, yeah. bigger influencers who have been really great and we've had an epic return. Um, where Facebook advertising is good because you can actually measure the results. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that there needs to be a combination of measurable marketing and then also marketing for brand awareness. Um, so like working at influencers, sure. you can't measure that, um, you know, PR, it's really hard to measure um, that kind of thing. So working with Facebook, at least that way you're able to f- somewhat forecast um, what sort of sales you'll yeah. be getting um, and then also do the, the other brand awareness stuff on the side. I think there needs to be a good combination of that. 
Oh, definitely. So with the influencer marketing, how did you pick which ones to work with? Um, it's really been about, you know, looking at who our, our audiences and who our ideal customer is mm-hmm. and then finding influencers who have a similar audience. Um, that's pretty, pretty much it. Um, yeah, so it's been a, a, the influencer kind of game is interesting. Like, <laughs> isn't it just? Oh my god, <laughs> it's just yeah. I don't know. It definitely, um, definitely has been really beneficial for us um, in lots of ways. And I try to look at it as well because it's not um, easily measurable in terms of sales. I think you've got to look at the yeah. other. ROI that you get from it or the return on investment that you get from it, um, which I find just as valuable as the sales. So at the end of the day, like when it comes to marketing, um, you know, you can be talking about your product, you can say you've got the best product, um, but at the end of the day, the people that are buying your product need to be able to trust you um, in the kind of consumer journey um, that they go through. So it's like brand awareness and then it's like they want to be educated about your product, then they need to have trust and then they go into decision-making. So um, the influencer strategy has been really great in that trust-building process, especially um, like a year ago when Mm. not every man and his dog was posting. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, but we, you know, the the actual content that we got from the influencers, we were able to repurpose and post on our page or on our story and be like, hey, to our followers, all these people are using our product. You can trust us too. So now you can go and buy. And I think that also speaks volumes, um, you know, when, when working with That's influencers. So yeah, I, I see a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, whinge about how it doesn't work. And I'm like, there are so many other benefits. And especially if you work with someone, um, you know, if you work with someone and their audience isn't brand aware of, of your product yet, they're probably not going to mm-hmm. come and buy from you. But if you can get them to your website and get the influencer to do a swipe up to your site or have a link to your yeah. website, they come to your website and you've got remarketing campaigns set up with Facebook. You're, exactly. they're, they're caught in your funnel anyway and you're able to con- keep marketing to them. So there's lots of value, I think, in working with influencers, but we're always kind of looking at what works best, looking at the type of influencer that works best. I think you've just got to be onto it and looking at the numbers um, to monitor yeah. it. Have you had any bad experiences? Because I know like a lot of people have had bad experiences where they've been burned or like where things have gone wrong. Have you had any? No, not really. Um, we've had people not post, um, but not no one that we've paid. Um, it's just like yeah. smaller guys. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it takes more energy to worry about that than just exactly. getting on with it. Um, who cares about the, the however much money's lost? Like it's fine. Just get on with you yeah. know, moving forward. Um, but we've had people that we've paid money and we haven't had a, an immediate return. Um, but like I said, having a picture of like, you know, there's an influencer that we worked with that had one and a half million followers. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And her, <laughs> our website traffic increased, but not by a whole lot. Um, and yeah, we didn't have that immediate purchase rate, but a lot of people know who she is. A lot of people follow mm. her. So using having that image that we can now use in our marketing and stuff to show that she's used the product um, it is worthwhile. Yeah. So I, it just depends. I think on, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably do. Um, but then we've had another girl who was epic. She like, I think at the end of the day, you've got to look at the engagement with that influencer. Like what level of influence do they actually have? Just because they've got 2 million followers doesn't mean that those people are going to be influenced by that influencer. They yes. might just be heaps of guys following them to, to um, you know, because they're hot or whatever. Um, or exactly. are they someone that people actually really like and want to be like? That's the people that you need to get to talk about your product. 
And especially like in the wellness space, I, I always use like the bikini model analogy and it's like you could be a bikini brand and you obviously like you think, okay, I'm going to give my bikinis to this bikini model. Yeah. Whereas in real life, like most of the people following her are probably men. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. They're not going to be buying bikinis. <laughs> no, no, totally not. And at the end of the day, you can always ask the influencer if they're, if they're going to charge you, you can ask them for their, um, you know, their stats and find out exactly who their, who their followers are. Um, I, I'd highly recommend that if you're paying them. Um, but now our influencer strategy has moved away from paid influencers and we're only working with contra deals, so more micro-influencers. Um, and the reason for this is um, because of just the content generated, really, and these people are super yeah. engaged, like, they love, and particularly for us, because we're working with our product, isn't just our product. It's 15 other people's products inside of our product. Um, of we need them to get content too. We need their brands to be engaged with too. So these micro influencers who I, I kind of refer to as aspiring influencers are so excited about your product and all of the products inside. So they're, they're going to go further to do, to do more for you. And they're more engaged in that kind of thing. So that's what we're doing at the moment. But like I said, we're always reviewing that strategy. Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier about your um, collaboration that you had with Roxy and Quicksilver. How on earth did you get that one? Because that's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, that was that was actually um, people that I um, became friends with um, when I moved to Torquay. And yeah, they um, were working there. I can't actually, I think the marketing manager came to an event that I ran with a yoga studio in Geelong um, and then... Yeah, I can't remember exactly how it all panned out. Anyway, we started talking and um, we kind of did a contra thing for one of their marketing events. And then she was like, oh, we do this runs up yoga event. Would you want to be like involved in that? I was like, sure. Um, so, yeah, it kind of just went from there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was um, it was really cool. And we actually got a lot of exposure out of that, uh, especially because. I can runs- imagine. Yeah. And it was targeted at, at women, um, you know, like. So, yeah, it was it was a perfect perfectly aligned um partnership we we're kind of at the moment we like we were doing lots of those kind of partnerships then but we've kind of moved into more measurable things now and less kind of brand awareness Mm. activities but um yeah definitely so much value in that when you want to get your brand out far and wide and everybody seeing your logo and stuff yeah for sure any tips for other business owners who are thinking of pitching for like big collaborations or any collaborations yeah def- I think that when when you're talking to um when you're approaching a business you need to remember that they're busy and they've got stuff going on so when yeah. you reach out to them you need to be professional clear and concise about what you are proposing um and also it's it's very much about what's in it for them as much as it's about what's in it for you um so mm-hmm. it's kind of like how if I was to approach, approach a big company now, I'd probably create um, like a one-page document that's like um, what I was proposing, um, what that entails, what's in it for them yeah. and what the outcome is. So you've got to make it really clear because these people and these organisations don't, they probably get approached all of the time. Um, so you just need to ensure yeah, that you're, sure. you're selling it to them and really that's just showing it what they're going to get out of it. So Yeah, what's in it for them. <laughs> Love that. Awesome. Amazing. Okay, Kate. So at the end of every episode, I always have three questions that I ask all my guests. And the first question is, what advice would you give to your pre-business self? (laughs) I have so much much advice I'd give to her. It doesn't just have to be one thing. (laughs) No, that's right. One one of the main things is um, that I would give to myself 
back then is to and coming into business is to know my numbers and I know that gets thrown around so much um, but understanding all of the numbers in your business so how much money you've got coming in how much money's going out um, you know being able to look at your cash flow because that's the most important thing like even if you're turning over two million dollars a year doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have any money in the bank one week because you've got a huge amount of bills and stuff so being able to see that yeah. also monitoring like your analytics so that you can actually see with the marketing that you're doing what's coming in and um, what your conversion rates are just any kind of numbers to do with website analytics and, and Facebook marketing analytics and mm. um, yeah, forecasting and stuff that that would be the biggest piece of advice I give to myself in terms of like what to do. Um, yeah. Like in business, but th- another thing that I'd say to myself is don't sweat the small stuff. Um, I used to get oh, so, yeah. so wound up about the littlest things. Um, like a customer would complain about something or this wouldn't happen. And now you just got to move on. Um, I used to, I think yeah. now, like I used to make all my decisions really, emotionally I used to be so like my identity was so entangled in retreat yourself it was like I am retreat yourself and if anything goes wrong to retreat yourself my whole life is over um so I've had to consciously practice consciously practice day in like every single day um telling myself that I'm not my business like my business isn't me it's not part of my identity it's something that I do um and therefore if something goes wrong with the business I've still got my health I've still got my family I've still got my friends um so, yeah, so it kind of it, it allows me to now make decisions that aren't emotional and not get affected by things emotionally. Mm. So I can just be like, cool, that happened. What are we going to do to fix it and move on rather than, um, yeah. Yeah, so important. Like that's something I struggle with a lot, but it's really hard when your business is your personal brand. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is hard. It, yeah, exactly. My, my business isn't necessarily my personal brand, but I can understand how yeah. that would be quite challenging. But I think at the end of the day, like it's, it's, you know, not going to be the end of the world if, if things go wrong. Um, exactly. Yeah. Everything is figure outable. That's my biggest thing. Like I don't, I think when you're in business, it's e- easy to fear things going wrong or things happening, but it's like mm. everything, you're going to figure everything out. And if you don't figure it out, you're yeah. going to learn something like there's everything is figure outable. Exactly. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, if you try a business and you try it like, and you just learn and try multiple different things and it doesn't work, then you would have learned so many other, like so many things to be able to start a new business or apply to other areas of your life or. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, there are so many different ways to make money. Like there are so many different types of business you can run and yeah, yeah. like it's, yeah, it is figure outable. Awesome. Next question is what has been your biggest whoops moment? Oh, as in uh, my personally or the, with the business? Like business, like with your business. Oh, okay. <laughs> this happened in February this year. It was the biggest disaster ever. Um, I So we were migrating websites from WordPress to Shopify. Um, and I, oh, a few things happened with a developer who I ended up just saying, look, just, I'm just going to do this myself. Um, I had another guy who was the des- yeah. website designer who was assisting me with the migration, but I was kind of, um, you know, doing a lot of it myself. Um, and so in the migration of moving from WordPress to Shopify, um, we had to migrate our customers from uh, PayPal to Braintree. And oh. that, and so the, the designer developer guy was helping me with this, um, this part as well. 
to a certain degree like he was he was you know liaising with Braintree and stuff and we had to just migrate there was like lots of customer data lots of numbers on a spreadsheet and he gave me a, a copied section to put onto um the spreadsheet of data that we were um importing into the into the new um, Braintree system and anyway so imported all of the data everything was on the new website all good and then our subscription renewal period came around so the 22nd of Feb like eight days before the new box ships um all of the payments come out for our subscribers and I was like, yay, like it's working and just so, so stoked about it. And then it was, I remember like vividly, it was like midnight and I was sitting in bed and my partner was away somewhere and I just started getting email after email, message after <gasps> message, like, why have you taken money from me? I cancelled my subscription six months ago. Why have you taken money from me? I cancelled two years ago, whatever. Oh. And I was like, how is this happening? I had no idea. I just bawled my heart. <laughs> this is a moment that I just broke down because I was like, ah, like how is this even happening? I don't even know where to begin with this. Um, and so I tried to get in contact with the designer developer guy that had been helping, couldn't get in contact with him. And I was like, I have to figure this out. Oh so yeah, I had to basically like pull out all of the informa- customer information, cross-check everything. And I managed to figure out the problem and it was because the data that he'd given me was incorrect. Anyway, I just went like, I f- went straight to the customers and said, this is what's, I was just, I'm all about being transparent with our customers. It's the biggest, the biggest yeah. thing that I value. Um, but yeah, so anyway, just had to completely figure that out. We ended up refunding. There was 200 people that were affected in the end, which wasn't a huge chunk of people oh, wow. in the greatest still. team, but still that's 200 people. And so yeah. emailed all the people that had been affected and refunded their money. And then the refunds got rejected by PayPal. And I was just, yeah, it was like a three week, maybe four week period of just hell. Like in, I had like square eyes cause I was so deep in spreadsheets the whole time, just like trying to figure it all out. And I'm not a data oh person. God. And then the developer didn't get in contact with me for three weeks. So I was like trying to figure it out and I had no <laughs> help from him at all. He did. He was slightly helpful in the end, but yeah, that was definitely the biggest boo-boo. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and then the last question, which is kind of related to this and it might be the same answer. Yeah. What has been your biggest growth moment in business? Yeah, that, that was no, I've yeah, definitely learned a lot from that. Um, but I think my biggest growth moment was when I applied for Shark Tank. <laughs> I oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to get on Shark Tank because I because uh, just because of the complexities of this business and just how full on it is, I was like, I need somebody to work with me to be able to grow because I can't manage all of these things and do them properly without without some help. Um, so I was like, I'll go on Shark Tank and I'll get money and I'll get a staff member. That'd be cool. Um, so anyway, I applied and I got all the way through to the the final round um, where we had to go in for an audition. Um, and it, it, like, it was like it, every bit of research I did was like, you need to know your numbers. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. what numbers do I need to know? Someone Google like, how, what numbers do you need to know in your business? <laughs> um, and I just... <laughs> was trying to figure it all out. Um, I hired a coach to help me um, a little bit with my forecasting and stuff, um, but still had absolutely no idea. So at the time I thought I was ready to go on Shark Tank and I went into my audition, but I actually in hindsight was just, I had no idea. Like I was just guessing my churn rate. I was guessing the lifetime value of a customer. Like I was just trying to kind of wing it. Um, yeah. but anyway, like I didn't get on, I just missed out. I was incredibly disappointed, but now looking back, I'm like, okay, I'm so glad. I was actually thinking about this this morning. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't get on Shark Tank because I would have got torn to pieces. But in like, yeah. in they would have destroyed me. Um, but in hindsight, I'm like, having to go through that process of learning 
even though I wasn't an expert on them, like by the time I auditioned, I started to see the value in them. Um, and I started, and from having to put a pitch together and be like, if you give me this much money, I can turn it into this much money. Um, and looking at all of that, I started to get really interested in it. And that's kind of, that's when the business is absolutely taken off because I've used that information and that data to be able to forecast and grow. And, um, yeah, it gives you more kind of control and and stuff. So that was definitely the biggest growth moment. I think that's when it turned from a hobby into a business for sure. That's so good. And I love like, yeah, I love that you talk about knowing your numbers because it's so important. It's so important. So, so important. I know how like daunting it would be. I I mean, I've been there when you're like, what, what are the numbers? But just it's just go go on google (laughs) um find out what numbers are important like important to you now um and yes just start looking into your analytics ask people for help like yeah but it's just it's the one thing that's going to grow your business and now everything i do um i consult my 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 numbers first like i consult my cash flow forecast i consult everything like that because if yeah. I don't have the money to do things, then I don't have the money to do th- do them type thing. Um, and yeah, whenever I like, I help my partner with his business. He's got a, a snow clothing brand. And the first thing I was like, we're not going to talk about marketing. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff until we've done, you know, your your numbers and figured out where you're sitting, and then we can kind of go from there. So yeah, yeah. so much strength in it. But yeah, definitely reach out to people and ask, and just do do your research on it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. You've been very, like, you've been a great source of wisdom. (laughs) And I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So I'd love to know what's next for you and for Retreat Yourself. A lot. There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment, actually. Um, Yeah, Retreat Yourself. We've actually got um, something a little bit exciting coming up with our next spring box that we haven't um, announced yet. But well, we're really excited about it and I hope everybody else is too. But um, we're doing a bit of a rebrand as well, which is cool. Um, uh, Bringing out a couple of new products. And I'm actually also launching another business on the side, which um, should be launched in about six months. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Because you're not busy enough. Totally not. Um, Lucky I like to do lots of things at one time. So... (laughs) Me too, yeah. me too. Awesome, Kate. Where can people find out more about you and about Retreat Yourself? Um, so on Instagram, we're Retreat Yourself, bo- uh, retreat yourself underscore box um, or just Retreat Yourself Box on Facebook and our website is retreatyourselfbox.com. If anyone wants to reach out with any questions, it's just kate at retreatyourselfbox.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.